I have a confession to make. Oh, God. You may not have noticed this in the time that we've spent together in this booth. I really like women. So do I. That's cool. I mean, but I really, really like working with women. Okay. probably good that you're here. Like the Liberal Party way? No, 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 no. I found that when I worked for ASIO, all of my best bosses were women. Well, because, you know, we're pretty smart. Well, this is the great thing. I thought, what a great opportunity to talk about women spies. Because no one ever talks about women spies. And why not? Can I tell you why? Why? Because they are freaking badass. Well, let's talk about it. You're listening to I Spy, the femme fatale of Australian intelligence. Come up and see me sometime. I'm the femme fatale. Oh, that's right, yeah. Hello and welcome to I Spied. My name is Michelle Stevenson. I am a journalist and I'm here with David Callan, a former intelligence officer with ASIO. Less of the intelligence, more of the... ASIO. ASIO, yeah. <laughs> intelligence, <laughs> never a word that comes up when I'm being ta- spoken about. Yeah, especially now that we fully understand parts of your career Pretty at much. ASIO. Yeah, and my career outside of ASIO. <laughs> now look, let's talk about women spies. I mean, I want to talk about women spies. Okay, you want to start with the, the grandmother for want of a better word, of all women spies. The Grand Dame? Grand Dame. Okay. Matahari. Okay. You've heard the name, haven't you? I have heard the name. Matahari, who was, how was she described? You know, uh, an exotic dancer, a fantasist, and grand courtesan. I mean, I'm in. Yeah, she wasn't. Okay. She was basically a Dutch housewife. What? Right, here's the story, right? Okay. Right. Matahari mm. was a Dutch housewife who married a man who then took her to the Dutch East Indies. Then she didn't really like the Dutch East Indies. It's a hard thing yeah, to say. Dutch twice. East Indies, Dutch East Indies, Dutch East Indies. Dutch East Indies. Indies. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, she then went back to Europe yep. and then started visiting the salons of European society as an exotic dancer, basically. While she was married. Well, uh, that gets a bit fuzzy. But okay. he, I think, stayed in the Dutch East Indies, oh. now known as Indonesia, yeah. and she went back to Europe to flaunt her booty, right? <laughs> um, now, there's an interesting saying. They call intelligence the second oldest profession in the world. And we all know is, is the, the oldest. Yeah. And the thing is they're not very different. No. They're very, very close. Well, and you're selling yourself in some way, aren't then you? you are. And she did. Yeah. Right. Now, the whole thing was the great mystery, the great story, the legend behind mm. Matahari was she was this incredible woman who could bend men to her will, get secrets out of them. And she was to, Dutch. She was Dutch, yeah. <laughs> so she talked with the Dutch accent. No, that's terrible. <laughs> um, so anyway, she had this reputation of being this incredible spy. Yeah. The only thing was pretty much history bears out that she really wasn't. Okay. She wasn't really that great a spy. Part one of that is Everybody knew that she put out for pretty much anyone. She actually said, uh, I loved men. A strongly built male brought me to a state of ecstasy. Oh I mean, my gosh. this was her public persona. Okay. Right. So she had this public persona of being very wanton, very lascivious. Yeah. Being basically, as she was described by British intelligence, depraved. And really? Yes. Now, here's the. Re- I mean, the British, they're a bit stiff up a lip, aren't they? <laughs> hey, you're being. Yeah. Oh, you're showing your ankles. Oh, your ankle. Oh, oh I must go and wash <laughs> my eyeballs with creosote and a, a rusty blade. Oh. Right. So, what happened was 
the British suddenly got an idea that she might be a spy. Now, by 1917, the war had been devastating. Yeah. And morale in both France and England were very low. Yeah. They needed someone to scapegoat, and she was the perfect scapegoat. Okay. Um, they found information. There was no incriminating evidence to say she was a spy, but they did have information that there was a German diplomat in Spain who was paying Matahari quite a lot of money. Now, they said, obviously, it's in an espionage case. Basically, I think he was doing it. So she would flaunt her booty. Yes. Right? So essentially, the Brits went, she's depraved. And yep. at that time, they saw that kind of behaviour as being an indication of mental instability and criminal tendencies. Wow. So what what was going on? Essentially, they went, she is the one we're going to pin this on. They put her in front of a firing squad and they shot her. Oh. But here's the thing. Legend has it, she bared her breasts to the firing squad. I bet she did. In the hopes that they'd miss. No, can't, could not possibly shoot that. Perfect. Right. So she was basically just a scapegoat. Yeah. Essentially, she was a scapegoat, right? And that's why everyone went – and the whole thing, it started the entire idea that female spies were just lascivious so she, man-eaters. Yeah, so maybe it was kind of the beginnings of a honey trap. Well, here's the thing. Now we're going to get into the interesting side of it yeah. because female spies really, really kicked up a gear in World War Two. Yeah, they did. You heard Be- of Na- Because all the, men, all the men went to war. So well, no, 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 not just that. Not just the fact that they all went to war. That We get onto that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Nancy Wake, you've heard of Nancy Wake? No, I have not. The, the White Mouse? No, I have not. Uh, Le Souris Blanche? <laughs> no. No matter what language you say it in, I, I still haven't heard. Nancy Wake is possibly one of the most famous Australian spies. She was Australian. Oh. Well, New Zealand born, Australian raised. We all own her. Right. She own, we own her. And yeah. the great thing about Nancy Wake, she was the Gestapo's number one target in France. Really? Oh, yeah. Five million franc Bounty on her head. Really? Oh, they wanted her so bad. She helped prisoners escape. So she'd get down pilots. You know, the yep, resistance, yep, French yep. resistance would grab down yep. pilots. They'd get them. She was the one that would get them over the Pyrenees. She actually, she crossed the Pyrenees something like 17 times, right? She ran networks. She ran communications networks. And look, there are hundreds of books on Nancy Wake. She's incredibly famous. So how did a Kiwi via Australia end up in France? In France. Right. Well, she married a Frenchman. Okay. Right. Who, unfortunately, she discovered was kidnapped. By the time the war ended, she found that she'd been, he'd been taken prisoner by the Gestapo and oh. eventually executed. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Because of her? Probably. Yeah. Yep. They were looking for her and they probably took him in and tortured him to death to try oh. and find out. Now, she was in France. She'd escaped through the Pyrenees into Spain. Spain was not involved in the war because it had its own problems with its civil war. Yeah. She went to England and as soon as she got to England, the SOE debriefed her, SOE being the Special Operations Executive, mm-hmm. they were the guy that were doing the real high-end penetrative work into Europe, they recruited her and sent her back. She went, I want to go back. I want to work with the French. And she did. She had. She was like this incredible person that was running like thousands of resistance troops. So how did she initially get involved? It's kind of like a female Hogan's hero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she basically realised that this. she wanted to fight the French resistance with mm. the resistance. She'd travelled around Europe during the 30s and watched Nazism take over yeah. and she hated it. She'd had enough. So when they invaded France, she just went, hands up, I volunteer, I'm in. And she started passing messages. She'd ride a bicycle and pass messages, right, which is another interesting thing. When you look at all of these women through World War II and there's others, there's Vera Atkins, there's all of these different women, all of these women 
were overlooked by yeah. the Germans because they're a woman. So if, if you've seen the movie Jojo Rabbit, have you seen it? No, I haven't, and it's oh. really bad of me. I'm really... Oh, yeah, really, really good. And the the mother in that yes. does something very similar. Exactly. She rides a bike and she passes messages. Exactly, yeah. right. So now Nancy Wake was probably recruited by a woman by the name of Vera Atkins. Now, Vera Atkins was a Romanian woman living in Bucharest. She was a translator and she met a guy by the name of William Stevenson. A Canadian, a dashing Canadian called I mean Canadian. William Stevenson. Uh, and what a great name. Yeah. And William Stevenson was also known as Intrepid. Intrepid. Now, Intrepid is the the now regarded as the person they based Bond on. I really? know I said it was the guy in the in I know, I'm very confused because there's so many things that you've told me Bond has been based on. Yeah, well I can do that, can't I? Because yeah, yeah, no yeah. one really knows. No. But even like Fleming said about Vera Atkins, if there was a boss, she was it in right. the spy circles. She ran like most of the SOE operations in Europe because she was a genius. Right. Right. So and the thing is she was very charming. So what she would do is she'd she met a German diplomat in Romania and she was incredibly charming and then just sucked the information out of it. Right. Right. So she was this woman, she wound up being one of the highest ranking SOE officers. She wound up recruiting all of these other women to work in Europe. So the, these women were really coming into their own during this time. Yeah. Why do you think that this was happening? I, I mean, I know that the war was going on and yeah. then a lot of men were overseas fighting in it and then a lot of women thought, well, what can I do? I think it was a case of that, but I think it was also when you look at these women, mm. they were incredibly adept at this sort of work. Yep. They were really skilled in the area. I mean, the thing because about... Because we're the, manipulative. Well, no, because you're smart. <laughs> they were smart women. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you're a little manipulative. But, you yeah. know, that's why I got married, because I need to be put in my place. Yeah. Now, the thing is, one of the things that Vera Atkins did is she met a guy by the name of William Donovan, who mm. was sent over by Roosevelt to look at the SOE, because Churchill was going to the Americans, please, we really need some help, we're about to get invaded. Mm. And Roosevelt was like going, oh, Get involved with this. That's how Roosevelt talked. <laughs> I don't talk? know. William, go over there and have a look. Yes. Is that really how he talked? No, not really. Okay, great. Anyway, William Donovan went over there and had a look at what the SOE was doing and then spent time with Vera Atkins. Mm. Now, most people would go, oh, he's a very important person from America. I shall take him to a fine dinner and try to woo him. <laughs> no. Yeah. She took him into their operation. He literally, she literally dragged William Donovan into the gutter of the SOE mm. in Europe and basically went, yeah, this is how we stuff rats full of explosives and then leave them in sewers and blow them up under like buildings. You know, this is how we can turn a bicycle into a rifle, right? She, wow. Yeah, this is fake manure. It will explode if lit. Oh, my God. That's, that's like a 30s version of uh, like Bond. Yes. Like, def like definitely like, you know, all those toys. Exactly. Now, yeah. here's the great thing. What she did was basically inspire William Donovan to go back to the Americans to Roosevelt. And go, what are we doing? Guys, we've got to get involved. These toys are amazing. This is fun. Now, he set up a thing called the OSS, which was the American version of the SOE, which is now the CIA. Oh, wow. Yeah. So well, a woman inspired a man to set up the CIA, one of the most clandestine I... and dangerous organizations <laughs> in the world. Your fault, girls. Well done. Well, I also feel like we've been inspiring men for years. You have. And behind, generations. Behind every great intelligence organization is a woman going, you stole my idea. 100%. Right. So that's those guys. Now, here's another one. I love this one. Okay. Christina Skarbek. Skarbek? Skarbek. I love it. Polish aristocrat. Polish aristocrat. Polish aristocrat. Yeah. Okay. There were there before they became communists. They had yeah. aristocrats. Okay. Uh, now she was trained in horsemanship and shooting by her father. Of course. And was regarded as 
Ex- oh, she excelled in charming men all her life. I mean, women should excel in that. I'm sorry, but if you can ride a horse and shoot, you got me already. <laughs> I'm totally down for you. You're awesome. Now, and she's got good chat, apparently. Exactly. Now, she realised exactly what was going on in Europe and went to England, right? Mm. She went, hang on, this is, you know, uh, the, Rus- the Russians, the, uh, the Germans invaded Poland. She went, I've got to get out of here. She went straight to England and went, I want to help. She went straight to the SOE. She became right. Churchill's favourite spy. Right. Because she was glamorous, because she yep. was royal, perfect. Yeah. And also she could shoot and ride like a man. Um, <laughs> probably better than Churchill could. Yeah. Uh, and she basically turned around and went, okay, what I want to do is I'm going to ski in and out of Poland mm. using this Olympic skier as a guide. Hello, I'm an Olympic skier. Right. And she did to yeah. the point where the Germans had to double the patrols on the on the Alps. Because she's so good skiing. Because she kept skiing in and out. They oh, my God, it's perfect. It. Now, she also, that is also in a Bond movie. Yeah. Now, here's another one. She was about to be arrested. So she bit her tongue so she could spit blood. And then she went, oh, I'm sorry, I've got tuberculosis. And I went, whoa, okay, you can go. Ah. And my favourite story is one of her lovers was captured. Yeah. So she hung around the prison that he was in singing their favourite song until he sang it back to her and she realised, right, you're in that cell, I know where you are. Then she walked through the front door of the prison and said, hello, I'm the daughter of a British diplomat. The Allies have just landed in Normandy and if you don't release these prisoners, the Allies are going to kill you. And the guards went, all right, right, everyone, get out. Yeah, you should take some now. Goodbye. Right? (laughs) So these, I'm really enjoying the accents, I have to say. Okay. It's, yeah. it's, that's the one reason I really want to do this episode. Yeah, I'm, that, I'm feeling you. I'm yeah. feeling you. Right. So the whole thing was, again, this woman who went, you know, mm. for want of a better phrase, the cojones on this woman yeah. were incredible. And they all had this amazing thing. Another great Australian one, she was uh, a coast watcher yep. on a South Pacific island. Her name was Ruby Boy. Ruby Boy? Ruby Boy. B-O-Y-E. Okay. Right. She and her husband were living on the island. He was running a timber company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what island it was. It was in the South Pacific somewhere. When the Japanese started, took over Guadalcanal, everybody moved out. Mm. But her husband went, yeah, but i got a timber company. I'm not going nowhere. Yeah. And she went, well, I'll stick around. And their radio operator, because that's what you did. You didn't have telephones. No. You had radios. The radio op- operator turned around to her and went, oh, yeah, this is how you use it, love. And she taught herself Morse code and mm. started sending not only weather reports, back to the Navy, but also intelligence reports. And she became the liaison point between oh. coast watchers further up, the, like further up in the chain, closer to the action, right, to the point where the Japanese threatened her over the air. Yeah, basically turned around and went, you don't stop, we're going we're gonna to do you something shocking. Oh, no. To which she went, yeah, rack off. Yeah. Right? And she stuck it out. There's one point she was like she was regarded as instrumental in the um, victory. And they never caught her? Never caught her. Amazing. Now, here's the thing. They did catch other coast watchers. Yeah. And because if you were a civilian and you were doing this, you were automatically a spy and the Japanese ex- executed you. They were pretty hardcore. They were. They, they were they like, were. I, but the Japanese. Yeah, they were pretty, pretty, pretty solid. Pretty solid. Pretty, pretty. Yeah. Germans yeah. and Japanese. Yeah. Not, Wouldn't want to be captured by either of them. Or the Russians. Dentistry. Um, oh, my God. My t- Can we not bring that up? Okay. okay. Now, here's the great thing. The Australian government went, gee, mm. if these guys are actually civilians doing yep. this work for us, they're in trouble. Let's make them all naval officers. So they gave them naval rank. 
Right, and right. what did so, that do? Well, it basically meant if somebody caught you on a radio sending yep. information, you go, naval officer, oh, well, you're a prisoner of war now. You'd basically... Which, oh, so they wouldn't execute yeah, you, they just keep the Japanese you. wasn't really that much better. I was going to say, like, there's some pretty horror, horrific stories yeah. about prisoners of wars. But at least they won't put a bullet through your head straight away. Here's the thing that okay. I feel really, really annoyed about with Ruby, though. Yeah, what? Hers was only honorary. No paycheck. Oh. Every other guy got a paycheck. So because she was female, she didn't get a paycheck? Yep. Are you serious? I am dead serious. Okay. I am not kidding. I'm, I'm getting very mad about this. I can tell. I can yeah. tell. And this comes this down. This set the tone for the rest of our lives. Yeah. You have ruined this <laughs> podcast for me, David. Ruined. No, well, I mean, it's, it's just, it's this whole thing about how women, you know, equal pay, equal rights, all that kind of stuff. But to not even get paid yeah. and you're risking your life doing the same thing that a man is doing. Yeah. It, oh, I mean, oh. Admiral William Halsley of the US Navy visited her on the island to thank her for all the help she gave. Right. But did she get a paycheck? No. Did right. he, like, bring her a gift at yes, least? Yes, he did give her a gift. It's called Shingles and she had to be air out out about two months later because he had shingles at the time she caught it. Is that true? Uh, yeah, you could say it was pretty accurate. Um, oh, but, my God. Yeah, yeah. What did you get for the war? Shingles. Shingles. There is a great story of a British spy, again, another SOE one, called Pearl Corleone or Cornioli. Cornioli. Cornioli? Cornioli. Sounds Italian. Pearl. 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 Right, Pearl was regarded as the best shot in the SOE. Yep. As soon as the war broke out, she went, I went in. I want to go over there and kill people, yeah. right? So they made her remember the SOE. Her cover in Europe was she was a cosmetic saleswoman. Mm. She never wore makeup. Cool. But okay. um, she wound up, she was a, a, an expert in guerrilla tactics. She actually saved a lot of French guerrillas, uh, like resistance soldiers' lives because de Gaulle wanted to use them as regular soldiers. Mm. And she went, that's pointless. A guerrilla can only work in an area they know. So taking him and dumping him somewhere else that he it's doesn't know, work. it's not going to work. So yep. she saved all the lives that way. But in the end, she was offered a civil MBE, member of the British Empire, to which she rejected. She knocked it back. Her reason going, there was nothing remotely civil in what I did. There was nothing <laughs> remotely civil in what I did. All right, you are just pulling out the accents. Now, so what about like someone a bit more modern day though? All right, I'm going to take you into the modern day slightly. We're going to go into the Cold War and then I'm going to give you one of my favourites at the moment. All right. Now, Cold you, War, you're walking us through this, aren't you? Two women. Okay. Two American women, both Cold War spies for the Russians. Okay. One by the name of Elizabeth Bentley, also known as the Red Spy Queen. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's cool. And then there was Judith Copeland or Copeland. Now, uh, and she, she didn't have a moniker? No, okay. no. Now, Elizabeth Bentley mm. basically walked into the FBI in the, I think it was mid to late 40s and went, here's the Soviet spy network I've been running for the last 10 years. Yep. To which the FBI went, whoa, state's witness, and holy God, you've got all of this. Now, the Russians immediately, and the whole thing was they, they tried her, but what they did was it was all like, oh, she was a femme fatale. Like uh, the newspapers, she's a blonde bombshell spy who you know breaks men's hearts, only she was brunette. Okay. You know, they started creating this persona of her being this Matahari, yeah, another yeah, Matahari. Yeah. And Judith Copeland was a woman who was recruited by the Soviets straight after Bentley rolled up the network, right? What happened was... The Soviets then recruited this other woman who was working in Washington, D.C. FBI got wind of it, so they started handing her false information and eventually she was arrested handing intelligence to a Russian aide at the UN. Right. 
again, the whole thing was, oh, you know, she's a sexy femme fatale. And she was. Oh, really? She was a sexy one. Now, the whole thing was the media started pushing this line of, well, you know, they were in love with these men that were running it. And they, for, particularly for Elizabeth Bentley, they said, you, were t- you know, she was totally in the thrall of this man. Right. She wasn't. No. Not at all. She was all. playing him. And she was playing. Well, no, 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 no. She was. This is my job. This is what I do. Yeah. And this, the whole thing became a fact that we realised, as you said earlier, so many women went into the workforce because men were off fighting the war. Yeah. And the thing is, you should be in the workforce. You're very good at at working. Yeah. You're as good as a man is. And the whole thanks, thing was. Thanks, David. You're welcome. Yep. Yeah. We are as Power good. sister. <laughs> um, now, the whole thing was, as soon as the war was over, everybody wanted to go back to normal. Yeah. So um, what happened was they started saying, well, they were just weak-willed women who didn't know what they were doing. Bentley knew what she was doing. She yes. was hardcore and knew what she was up to. Yeah. Judith Copeland, not so much. And her lawyer actually turned around and went, let's say that you're in love with this guy and you didn't and know you what you're doing. Spell. And you fell under the spell. Yep. Until the prosecutor went, yeah, but what about this other guy you were sleeping with? You're like, oh. To which she turned around to her lawyer and went, I told you this wouldn't work. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Interestingly enough, neither woman served any time. Really? No. The the trials got so convoluted and so weird. People were like, I give up. Yeah, they gave up. But the whole thing was that then set up this idea that's now prevalent through popular culture, particularly James Bond, yeah. is female spies are either hopeless, yep. sex fiends. Or enamoured with men. Well, that's the sex fiend part. Okay. Or cold and heartless killers. Yeah. Which is, the funny thing is, you know, they're people. And oh, they have feelings. And they're people too. They're really good at their job. <laughs> yeah. Now, case in point is Stella Remington, world-famous author, mm. also the first female head of uh, MI5. MI5? MI6. MI6. MI6, right? right. First female head, right? She started out, she got recruited. Her husband was working in the embassy in India, mm. or the High Commission, I should say, and someone said, oh, look, we're looking for somebody to be a personal assistant for this guy. Can you do it? She went, yeah, I'll do it. She started as a PA. Started as a PA. Amazing. Turns out that he was the station chief for the MI, for MI6 in India. Right. And she went, oh, hang on. Goes back to London when her husband's posting ends and goes, I'm going to apply to work for MI6 full time. Mm. Winds up being the director general. Amazing. Head of, right? And the, the reason why, she could organise this place. Right. And it was going from being that Cold War, closed off, mysterious thing yes. to we're now a modern transparent government agency that needs to have a face. With a lot of complexities as well. First Director General of, U- of MI6 that mm. had actually been publicised. Right. Right, because the, the media were trying to find out who this woman is. And, and what was that era? Was that the Thatcher era? No, 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 that was 90s. Oh. Yeah, 80s and 90s. Oh, so it's post-Thatcherism. Yeah. yeah, which now leads us to America's great leap into female intelligence. Okay, I'm ready. woman by the name of Avril Haines. Avril Haines. Avril Haines is now the National Director of Intelligence. The National Director of Intelligence for the Biden administration? For the Biden administration. That means she is in control of 16 intelligence agencies. Amazing. She is basically the overarching head of all of them. Mm -hmm. She is the one who walks into the Oval Office every day and goes, right, Mr. President, this is what's going on, and gives him the intelligence. Brief. In that accent? Yep, in that okay. very accent. I've Great. worked very hard at getting Okay. She's got a very deep voice. I know. She smokes a lot of cigars. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really confused. Is she a man or a... No. So, Avril, okay. but really interesting background. 
right? She had a very tumultuous childhood. She wound up actually being a carer for her mother okay. through her teens. And when she finally, when her mother finally passed away, she just went, I don't want to do this anymore. So she went to Japan to study judo for a year. As you do. You want that? Yeah. Went to do that, got married, met this guy, got married. And then, you know, she was working around doing some sort of stuff. Yeah. And then they, I love this. This is the best. A bar and brothel in Baltimore that had been seized by the police Mm -hmm. was up for auction. And she and her husband husband went, why not? You're right. Let's get a bar and brothel. So what they did is they turned it into a bookshop, named it after her mother. Yeah. I think it was called the Adrian Bookshop. She then would host evening readings of erotic literature. I love it. Yeah, sex again. So how does she end up where she's at? Well, she got a little bored with that and went, I think I might go get a law degree. Okay. And she got a law degree. I get that. And then she sort of went into um, working with politicians and yeah. then started working in the Obama administration yeah. and then wound up being the deputy director of the CIA. So she's got no military experience. No military Right. But here's the really interesting thing. Because of her legal stuff, and her legal focus was on humanitarian yes. causes yep. and human rights, but she was the one who had to do – she had to redact – there was a uh, an inquiry into the use of torture by the CIA, right. by the American government during, after, during the war on terror. So she was the one who had to redact it. She redacted 6,500 pages down to 520-odd. Oh, that's painful. A lot of reading, but yeah. a lot of people then went, hang on, whoa, 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 human rights lawyer, what the hell are you doing cutting out all this information? Mm. To which she basically said, everything you need to know is there. Everything else you don't need to know. We go back to the need to know principle, you don't need to know. Right. The other thing she did was she was instrumental in the policy on drone strike assassinations against terrorists. You know, the Americans have this habit. Yeah, of, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, you're not a fan of it. No, because it, it kind of removes the human element of war and makes it sets it up for a video game. Well, there is a guy flying the the, the drone back in a like in a cooled room in in America. In Arizona, but I know, but like it kind of removes that whole element of being on the ground and seeing. I don't know. I think it sets it up for a, a computer game. Totally get it. Totally get it. That's why you know, call because it, there, there, there's been there's been examples where it's gone incredibly wrong. Oh, where yeah. Civilians have been hit. Yeah. It's like I just don't – I don't think it's the perfect way. But here's where Avril Haines is really, really important. Okay. She basically turned around a lot of the time and said to the military guys going, let's hit them. You know, we've got a drone up above them. Let's, yeah. you know, let's let the predator go crazy. Yeah. She would be on going, why? That was yeah. her first question. Why? Why this guy? Why now? Why this way? What See, is that's great. what is the big threat? Yes, and it's she's regarded as being one who basically made sure that a lot of these drone strikes didn't happen. See, now I'm I'm in. Right, I like her. Now this is what I like about Avril Haines. Yes, really smart. She woman. thinks about it. Thinks about it. We need it. We need a bit more of that in the in U.S. politics. I think we need a little bit more of it in all, all areas. Politics. That's one of the things I really like. There there were some really gung ho guys at ASIO. Mm. I mean, most of the people at ASIO whatever gender, yeah. were very diligent, very professional and very, very clued into what they were meant to be doing. Mm. There were, of course, some absolute idiots, some rednecks. Beyond the idiot that was me, mm. there were some people who took the job a little bit too seriously is not the word. Maybe yeah. they saw it as being a, a personal power trip. Yep. And that's why I found it really interesting These the women I work with were always – Really smart, really professional. Nice. So I think we've pretty much tackled 
a good chunk of females in Spidem. Here's the thing you've got to remember. Whatever you see in James Bond and the mm. way women are portrayed in intelligence... That's not the way it was. It's not even close to the way it was. And I wonder, because remember there was all that conversation about James Bond becoming a female. Yes. And having the female iteration of James yes. Bond. And, you know, a lot of people kind of shot that down. Oh. But we now, we now see... That a lot of James Bond and a lot of elements of James Bond are actually based on women. Yes. I mean, to be, so let's do it. to be perfectly honest, there are a lot of guys that got out of Europe because women took the time out of their busy lives to go and save them. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. all the sisters. Power to you. 